0: those tendencies. Lord, grant us grace. We know that your word tells us that we will be preserved, sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Faithful is he who has called us and he will do it. We praise you for such grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, grant us grace. We know that your word tells us that we will be preserved, sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Faithful is he who has called us, and he will do it. We praise you for such grace. In Jesus' name, amen. grant us grace. We know that your word tells us that we will be preserved, sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Faithful is he who has called us and he will do it. We praise you for such grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that your word tells us that we will be preserved, sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Faithful is he who has called
1: to eternity future, centered in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, effected by grace. And as we bring this conference and, and our consideration of this wonderful, wonderful gift... To a close, in this worship service, I want to draw your attention and our attention together to the really final two facets, perseverance, the perseverance of those saved and their eternal glory or glorification in heaven. And I'd like to look at them in the light of the passage of Scripture with which we began yesterday afternoon. Ephesians chapter 1, and I read from there the the, the first 14 verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself." That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory." in him you also trusted after you heard that word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. May God by his spirit who inspired his word, teach it to our hearts and to our lives. People of God These 14 verses, apart from the address in verses 1 and 2, are an anthem of praise to God. In fact, verses 3 through 14 are really all part of a single sentence in the Greek language. And the central theme or thought of that sentence is found in the first few words, Blessed be God. The Apostle Paul is here expressing the praise of God for the gift of redemption or salvation that God has graciously granted to his people. And this redemption is the gift of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You notice in verses 3 through 5 that the apostle celebrates God the Father's choosing of us to be his children in eternity past. From before the foundation of the world, God the Father chose us to be a part of his family. In verses 7 through 11, Paul praises God the Son's redemptive activity. By his death, he's liberated us. He's given us the forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins, not just once, not just at the beginning of our spiritual, our Christian experience, but again and again and again, day by day, we experience the forgiveness of our failures, so that we can live. We can live without condemnation, without a sense of guilt, and with a sense of freedom, joyous. Freedom. Freedom and acceptance by our Heavenly Father. The way Paul puts it, He he has made the riches of His grace to abound toward us again and again. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul rejoices in the work of the Holy Spirit who completes that glorious work of redemption. He puts us in possession of the riches of Jesus Christ. He seals to us all that Christ has done for us. Or to put it another way, the presence of the Holy Spirit is God's seal that we are his children chosen by him from before the foundation of the world and that we are redeemed in Jesus Christ lavishing the riches of his grace upon us now it's these last verses the last part of verse 17 uh, of, of verse 13 and verse 14 that i want to focus on for just a bit this morning as we consider both the perseverance of the saints and their eternal glorification Paul says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance. But what does that mean? You were sealed. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Well, in the time of the Apostle, and it's really no different today, a seal was a visible token or a mark of some kind applied unto an object. And usually the seal was a, was a piece of wax which was impressed or imprinted with a ring and bearing an identifying image, usually that of, of, of the person whose seal it was. And such a seal would be used for a variety of purposes. We know, for example, that there was a seal set on the tomb in which our Lord was buried. Seals were put or imprinted on official documents. Seals, too, were set on or sometimes even tattooed into the skin of slaves. And in each case, that seal was something official. The tomb that was sealed could not be opened except by official permission. Except God had another idea. Whatever a sealed document stated was thereby declared to be true and would be carried out. The slave who was sealed was by that seal declared to be the possession of the one whose seal he bore. Now the Apostle Paul takes that concept, he takes that idea, that image, and he applies it to us. As Christians. He says God officially sets his mark, his seal on us as believers. He marks us as his genuine children. And the seal that God marks us with is the Holy Spirit, his presence in our hearts and in our lives. There's something, there's a bit of an analogy, of an analogy to this in the life of Jesus. You'll remember that John the Baptist tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 31 and following that he says he didn't know who the Messiah was, the Christ. But he goes on to say, He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And one day John's there in the Jordan River baptizing. And, he, and Jesus comes to him. And as he does, John saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. He witnessed God the Father's seal on the Son. The Holy Spirit marked Jesus as God's Son, as the Messiah, as the Christ. Now in a similar way, not... In the visible descent of a dove, to be sure. But nonetheless, by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are marked as God's sons, as God's children. But that raises a question. How do we know? I mean, how do we, how do we know whether or not we have this mark, this seal of God? Isn't the presence of the Holy Spirit something, well, really something quite invisible? All of the symbols of the initial outpouring of the Spirit, giving of the Spirit, are gone. The, the sound of, of the wind, the tongues of fire, the speaking in other languages. So how, how do we know? How can we know whether we possess this seal of God? Well, let's think about a seal for, for a moment. Most of us have a diploma. We have a marriage certificate, we we have some official document somewhere, and on that document there's, there's a seal, and that seal is impressed into the paper of that diploma or that document itself, so that that paper is changed by that impression. If you feel it, if you run your fingers over it, it's no longer a smooth piece of paper. Rather, it has a design and printing exactly like that of the seal. In other words, the seal has impressed a copy of itself on that paper. Well, so too the Holy Spirit, as God's seal, impresses his character his likeness on us. That's what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, is spiritual. The spirit gives birth to spirit, having the seal of the Holy Spirit. We are new people. We're different people. We are spiritual people. We have a true knowledge of God as our Father. We know Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We experience genuine repentance and faith. Our tastes and desires are being purged from from those old sinful and selfish concerns. What we couldn't do before in our unregenerate state, we're now enabled to, 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 to do. What we couldn't resist before, that we're now able to begin to withstand. Or to put it another way, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, the apostle writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. All of these beautiful aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And when you love, even though you don't really feel like it, when you have a sense of joy, and I don't just mean a, a, a quirky smile on your face, but a deep sense of joy, even, 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 even though the circumstances of your life aren't all that conducive to joy. When you're at peace, that, that, that deep sense of peace that, that you can't really articulate, you, you, you can't describe, but it's there, it's real. It's, it's real you know that that's not from you. That's not natural. It's supernatural. It's of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. You see, he's put put his impression on you, his likeness. And when you see these things in your life, oh, they're not perfect. Not by a long shot, but they're real. Real. You have God's seal that you belong to him. Oh, that's what Paul means here when he says that believers are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. His likeness, something of his character is imprinted on us, is impressed into us. We are spiritual. And that's sort of a background in a way to what Paul goes on to say now. For having this seal, the Holy Spirit, he says, is a guarantee of our future inheritance. Verse 14, you were marked, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Literally, it says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the earnest, Or the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now that that concept, a deposit guaranteeing, is an interesting word. It literally means a, a, a down payment or a part payment in advance of a sum of money or whatever it is that's been promised. We're all familiar with that. You go and you buy something and you sign your name on a contract and you pay a down payment. And that's the guarantee that the rest will be paid. The rest will be given. Now notice what this passage says. It says that the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, who impresses something of his own character on us, is God's guarantee that there's more yet to come, much more in greater quantity, in fuller quality than anything we've experienced before. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment. The Holy Spirit is God's part. of our perfect redemption and inheritance, which we shall enjoy in heaven. Now, there are two thoughts suggested by that. The first is this, that being so sealed by the Holy Spirit is, is the assurance, is the pledge of the fact that we shall inherit the fullness of eternal life. It's God's pledge. In this connection, it's interesting to note, by the way, that, that God chose the day of Pentecost for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Back in the Old Testament, in Numbers 28 and, and verse 26, Pentecost is called a day of the first fruits. It's a day in which the, the first sheaves of the harvest, and this is the wheat harvest, they would go out into the fields and they would take those first sheaves of the harvest, and they would bring them as a thank and praise offering to God, leaving the rest out there. But those first sheaves, those first fruits of that that whole field anticipated the rest of the harvest that was out there. Now on this special feast day. A day of first fruits God gave the Holy Spirit that just as those first few sheaves of harvest pledged the whole of that harvest, so the Holy Spirit was God's absolute pledge and assurance of the full spiritual harvest for believers. And he, the Holy Spirit, is God's pledge, God's guarantee of our eternal inheritance in that the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is as much an expression and an evidence of God's love as Christ having been given for us on the cross. And that's a love, that's a love that won't let us go. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit himself makes us desire and, and, and believe and long for that inheritance. Now, there are a lot of people who miss the comfort of these words of our text. They say, but, 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 you know, we can't really be sure, can we, of our eternal inheritance? Isn't it possible to, to fall from grace? And Paul says, no, no, not so. The Holy Spirit who indwells you, the Holy Spirit who gives you faith, is the absolute guarantee of your eternal inheritance. To put that doctrinally, this is the preservation of the saints by God. Note the word. God promises, guarantees to preserve his people to eternal life. There are others, however, who who misuse the teaching of these words of our text. They say, well, look, if we have eternal security, then we can do as we please. We can live as we will. And again, the Apostle Paul would say, oh, no, no, not so. Because this spirit, who is God's guarantee, is a spirit who impresses his character on you. So that you become a new person, a spiritual person, who begins to will, not your own will anymore, but the will of God. You can't, you won't remain your selfish self. To put it doctrinally again, this is the perseverance of the saints or by the saints, the people of God. And note the word again, they persevere. In the way of the Christian life. By God's grace and spirit, yes. Through ups and downs, to be sure. But as the Westminster Confession puts it, those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called sanctified by his spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved so that's the first thing the first thought The Holy Spirit is God's pledge, he's God's guarantee, God's assurance of our eternal inheritance. The promise of his preservation demonstrated in our perseverance. But there's a second thought I said that's suggested here. And that's that being sealed with the Holy Spirit is not only an assurance... Of our preservation and/or perseverance unto eternal life. But it's an indication of what that life will be like. Now, the Bible, while reticent on the one hand and limited on the other in its description of our eternal inheritance, and both of those because of our innate inability, nonetheless tells us a great deal. I don't know if you're familiar with the book uh, by Randy Elkhorn, a book simply titled Heaven summarizes it by saying that ours will be a resurrected life in a resurrected body, living with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth eternally. With biblically inspired imagination, I believe, he describes heaven not as some vague, ethereal, nebulous destiny. But a physical, creational realm, the new heavens and earth, the new universe, redeemed and transfigured and and filled with reconciled relationships and, and exciting reunions with creative work and progressive culture and creational wonder, all absolutely free from sin and all of its effects characterized by righteousness and joy and peace and accompanied by an all-encompassing worship of our God in all of his greatness and glory and and, and majesty. Here in this passage from Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul focuses in terms of that glory really on the glory of the Spirit-filled life that shall be ours. Remember, he said that this, this indwelling, sealing Spirit, which we already experience is a part payment. It's a foretaste. It's a sample, if you will, of our eternal inheritance. That eternal inheritance, therefore, will be a Spirit-inspired, a Spirit-filled, a Spirit-directed life, a life of complete communion with our God. Again, note the words of the New Testament. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. It's holiness and and fellowship and, and, and renewed ability. And if this is God's part payment, then heaven will be filled with more of the same, only in complete perfection. Then heaven is far more than just the putting away of what's sorrowful and painful in this life. It's more than doing away with the sicknesses and and death. Heaven heaven is like our love for God now, only then perfected. Heaven is like our devotion to God now, only then done perfectly. Heaven is like the knowledge that we have now through a glass darkly. But then we shall know, even as we are now known. Heaven is like the holiness we experience, like the fellowships we enjoy. Only then, then, then it will be perfect. Someone has said, the very best of earth is the shadow of heaven. And the shadow, the shadow is like the reality, but oh, the reality Great and glorious as our earthly experience in the Lord is there's more there's so much more to come and yet having said all of that we're at a loss to comprehend or to grasp the glory of it all perhaps a story a a legend will help it's from the medieval times it seems there was this brother Ambrose he was a member of a monastic order And one day he was sent out to to cut and gather some wood for the community. In the forest he became aware of, of a gentle breeze in the top of the trees all about him. Birds sweetly singing. Flowers, beautiful flowers that carpeted the forest floor. And his heart rejoiced in God. It seemed to him about a half an hour or so of pure bliss. And then he returned, only to find a gate about the monastery and the door to that and, and, and the door of that, that gate locked. When he rang the bell, someone came, someone he hadn't known before, someone he didn't recognize, a young monk he'd never seen. And and this young man asked him who he was, and he identified himself as Brother Ambrose, and he said he had just been out in the forest gathering wood. The younger man said he'd have to talk to his superior, and when he came back, when he returned, he said, you know, about about a hundred years ago, There was a brother Ambrose and one day he went out to gather wood but he never came back. We looked, we assumed he died. You know the words, when we've been there. Ten thousand years, bright, shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis ends his Chronicles of Narnia with this paragraph. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful I cannot write them. For us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover page and the title. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the greatest story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever and ever, and in which each chapter is better than the one before. Praise God! Amen. How we look forward with anticipation With hope, O God, hope that shall not be denied. For for the capstone of your gracious, glorious gift of salvation is such glory that we can't even begin to imagine. O God, again in deep, deep humility, we rest with joy and with wonderful gratitude in your blessed, beautiful, beautiful gift. For any, O Lord, for whom these are words strange indeed, who don't find their heart filled with such expectation and anticipation, may this be the day The time through your word and by your spirit in which they grasp and receive by grace this your gift. In Jesus' name, amen.